Well, let's listen to God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 16. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in, the midst, in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Let's, let's pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. O Lord our God, these words are huge. We want to hear them again, just like Moses speaking a long time ago. Today we want to hear them again. And we want to lay these words to heart. Father, the words are weighty. They're deep. Please help us. Help us, Lord. This is above us. This is beyond us. This is bigger than us. Come, speak again, 2018. Speak again to your people. For we ask it in that fullest and best revelation of you, your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, have a look at these words in front of you here. I'll put them up on the screen. And they're there, of course, in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord 
is one. Now, I don't know of any introduction that I could use that would be appropriate for these, these words. So I'll just put them on the screen in front of you. Uh, these words can introduce themselves. I don't know of any idea in the history of humanity that is as weighty as these words. They, if you just look at them superficially, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They seem to be saying, at the very least, they seem to be saying that there is a God. There really is a God. And there is one. One God. At the very least, it's saying a thing called monotheism. One Godism, monotheism. It's an idea that has taken the world by storm. It, th this idea has spread faster than any meme. It's in more countries than McDonald's. More people think about this than Facebook. Uh, you know, more people subscribe to this than Google. This is the one thing that has gone around the world. It's an incredible idea, monotheism. There is a God, and there is one. Most human beings who are alive today, who have ever lived, subscribe in some form or another to this idea. Just think with me about the three Abrahamic faiths. First of all, that, that, that is the three faiths that stem from this man Abraham. There's of course the Jewish people. You're looking at the start of the Shema, uh, which I've told you about before in our series. This is the most holiest thing to the Jewish people. A lady came up last week after the sermon and showed me on her bracelet, the Shema, engraved there that she got in Israel. But it's not just Judaism, it's Christianity. Christians absolutely subscribe to this in all various forms of Christianity. Islam has a version of this. So you add that together, today you're talking about 4.2 billion people subscribe to this idea that's on the screen in front of you. Go back. It's not just those three. The ancient Egyptians had a form of this and often toyed with the idea of monotheism. And it's not just religious people, it's thinking people as well. So if you go back to the roots of philosophy, uh, uh, the great ones, uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Aristotle in particular outlined something like this. He called it the unmoved mover. He said this, this is Aristotle. There must be an immortal, unchanging being ultimately responsible for all the wholeness and orderliness we see in the sensible world. It's not just thinking and religion. And, and you might be thinking, well, that's a very Eurocentric, you know, you're in the middle of the world. No, no, you can go to the far reaches of the earth. The ancient Chinese and still today have this idea, and I don't know how to pronounce it, called Shangdi. Uh, forgive me, I don't know how to pronounce it. The idea is that above everything else is this impersonable, above sovereign, sometimes they refer to it as the heaven, this one being above everything. Ah, Duane, what about the Hindus? 
because there are about 1.2 billion Indians, most of whom are Hindus. Uh, they're polytheistic, so they, they don't subscribe, you know, not, not true. The vast majority of Hinduism has behind it this idea that there is, above all the gods, this one supreme god, Brahma, the creator of everything. In fact, I don't want to go into it now, but the Hind Hindus have a version of the Trinity called the Trimurti, uh, you know, Shiva and um, Vishnu and Brahma. But anyway, moving on swiftly. The point is, though, there is one god above them all. Lots of other little faiths, Baha'i faiths, and these tiny little faiths you probably haven't heard of, uh, believe in this one God. Aboriginal belief systems from North America, the, the Indian folk, and the, uh, across Africa. It's true, there's lots of ancestors and lots of animism, but above it all stands this one creator God. In the Kasa language it's called Utiko, who is the one God creator of all things. So here's what I'm going to do. Squish it all together, add it up. It's rough, okay? It's rough. I'm not good with numbers. Seven billion people. Out of 7.6 billion people believe in some version of this. 93% of all human beings who have ever been on this planet believe in something like this. Now I'm not saying that proves anything. But I am saying if you're here this morning and you're not sure if there is a God... And if you're not sure that there is one God, surely it's worth investigating. 93% of your fellow homo sapiens have come to understand and believe this. Did they all fall on their heads as a child? Is there something wrong with their genes? Are you alone, untouched by this madness? Or is there something in it? Can you see how weighty those words are? I know you're in Australia, where atheism has a voice all out of proportion because it controls the media to the masses of people. But don't let little Australia with 24 million people, as a drop in the bucket, not, not even as large as some of the largest cities in the world, don't let that color your judgment. The vast majority of people know better. But what does it mean? What does it mean? It's more than just there is one God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go deeper. We're going to unpack what Moses says in our passage. And we're going to break it down into two points this morning. Here they are for you. One Lord, one love. That's what this morning is going to be about. One Lord, one love. From Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verse 4. Let's first look at one Lord. Have a look at what Moses says there in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now the first thing to notice and take on board, and it actually Dwayne, having said everything you've said, is actually a bit of a surprise. Because this text is not actually saying there is one God. 
It is saying that. It is saying that. But it's saying more than that. It's saying that there is one God. Hear this. But the Lord is that one God. Did you hear that? It's not just saying there is one God. It is saying who that one God is. It gets into specifics. It gets personal. And already I can hear Australian society starting to groan. Oh no. I was loving your sermon up to that point. Here we go again. Can't we all just agree? 93% of people have one God. Hooray. Why do you have to go and get specific? See, the minute you start getting specific and picky and narrow, what do you do? You cause divisions. That's what you've done. If Jews and Christians and Muslims can just say they've got one God, stop being divisive. What you start doing when you do that is you start saying, my God is the real one. Your God's not the real. You know, can't we just say there's one God? In fact, there's a great meme by the atheists which goes like this. Atheists just believe in one less God than Christians do. <laughs> you know. So there's a great push to say as little as possible. Let's all say there's a God and move on to the footy. Because the less we say, the less division. Let's keep God vague. As vague as possible. Because in the end, if we don't know anything about him, we can all play nicely together. Actually, that's a myth. If you get rid of the one God, you won't play nicely together. It's like being in a kindy classroom. When that one teacher walks out, does everyone play nicely together? No, there is one God. But here's the thing. We know who he is. It's very specific. Let me show you who he is. Look with me at verse 4. Here... Oh Israel, did you see the word here? Somebody is speaking. Somebody's talking. Somebody's saying here. Somebody's talking. In other words, the idea of one God is not just a, nefer a, a, a ethereal concept. It's not just in the universal world consciousness. Somebody's talking. Somebody's saying, listen people, there is one God who's talking. It's Moses. Moses, that great figure of history, that prophet of God. Moses, the man who went up Mount Sinai in, um, uh, in the Arabian Peninsula. He went up there and he spent days and days, 40 days, with God face to face. And it's that Moses who's talking. And it's that Moses, he was 80 years old, when he bumped into God in a burning bush. And God said these words to him. Have a look at these words. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the, You know, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now already, already we can see it's specific. Who's your fathers? Well, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
These are three figures of history whom God spoke to each one of them and made promises to each one of them. That's the God. But Moses is not happy with that. He's saying, be specific. What's his name? They're going to ask me, what's his name? What do I say? Like the Illuminati. Baal, Yah, On. You know the Illuminati God? Mixture of Baal, Yahweh, and the, and the, and the Hebrew, um, the Egyptian God, On. We just try and make a big brown mess of it all because then it's all cool and everyone's happy. No, be specific. What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. You might think that's a cop-out. It's not. It's very specific. It's from that phrase, I am who I am, which means I am fundamentally incomparable. But what that means is, it's where we get our word Yahweh from. It's derived from the Hebrew of I am who I am. God is very specific. I am the God who spoke to Abraham, spoke to Isaac, spoke to Jacob, and revealed myself as Yahweh. It's that God. Thanks, Sean. Now look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, and there's the word. Did you see in your Bible it's in capital letters? That's not because the caps lock button got stuck at that point. It's because the translators take that word Yahweh and they always write it in those capital letters and you can text in a question and I'll explain more about that later, why that is the case. But that's the word Yahweh. In other words, verse 4 is not saying monotheism. Verse 4 is saying Yahweh theism. There's one God and he is Yahweh and nobody else. Now I'm not an expert in world religions but I can't think of any other God in any other religion who makes promises, who made promises to Abraham, promises to Isaac, promises to Jacob, and then comes in a burning bush, gives his name very specifically to Moses. But you might say that's a talking God. More. This is a God who acts. He does stuff. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now don't you balk at that hour, oh no, private property, you know, <laughs> our God, this is our little God, you know, it's not your God, it's our God, you don't like, you know, but, but wait, they don't own God, God owns them. This is the God who went and chose a people for himself and saved them and made them his own people. Remember last week, if you were here last week, I showed you all other religions pick their gods. All other religions choose their gods, which is usually why the worship of those gods fits their culture. It is only the true God who picks the people for himself. Look at these words which we looked at a little bit last week. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now it's nothing in you, mind you. It was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. In fact, you were the fewest of all peoples. Look at this, which just shows the Lord never needs a, a majority. But it is because the Lord loves you. 
And he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the Lord is... Now watch this. He's a very busy God. That the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you. It's not that God just exists and bully for him. It's that he talks and does stuff. Which God must you worship? Well, at least pick a God that does stuff. He does stuff. He calls a people to himself. The one God is the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. He's the God who actually rescues people and brings them to himself. So have a look at our point. One Lord. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It's very specific. It is the God who loves. It is the God who chooses people. It is the God who made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It is the God whose name is Yahweh. It is the God who spoke through Moses. It is the God who rescued Israel out of Egypt. It is the God of the book of Deuteronomy. He is the one God. Well, this is all very nice. I should have gone to the beach because I'm not an Israelite. And I've been invited here this morning and I've heard nothing but a history lesson. What has this very Jewish Israelite God got to do with me in Perth in 2018? See, here's the thing. And now it gets amazing. See that one God there who speaks, who acts. He did something that no other God has conceived of. That one God became a man. He entered our world. Ask me, why do you believe in God? Because he was here. He came into our world. He came to call his people to himself. And more than that, he did something. He died on the cross in the place of his people. Here is, get this, at the center of Christianity is the humiliation of the one God. Because he died in the place of the people he loved. He rescued us, not from Egypt. He rescued us from the worst conceivable slavery. The slavery to evil desire. He rescued us. Dwayne, who is this God? Can you just be a little bit, I think that's quite specific. Can you be even more specific? Yes, I can. Let me show him to you. There's an incredible verse in the New Testament. Look at this from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This verse is written by a Jew. In fact, a Pharisee. This verse is written by someone who absolutely subscribes to the Shema. Look what he says. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, who's the us? He's a Jew, but he's a devout Christian. For us, there is one God, the Father. Ooh, there's a, there's a, wow. From whom are all things for whom we exist, 
don't know if you thought that's why you exist for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist how did Jesus slip into this how did he get there let me show it to you and I've done a little table for you so you can see it on the left my left your no it'll also be your left is the Shema hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one what the Apostle Paul has done is he's taken that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and he's kept it we do not change the Shema we as Christians believe in the Shema but what he's done is he's filled it out on your left are 10 pixels on your right are a million pixels of the same God look what he does here are Israel for us there is see how it corresponds the Lord our God look what he does one God but he's the father from whom all things exist what Paul is doing is he's coloring it in he's giving us more detail in the Shema the Lord is one for us there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist can you see it Dwayne who is this one God this one Lord the answer is he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ thanks Sean you can really really know him nobody is allowed to have a vague concept of God if you don't know God it is by your choice because he has come seeking you and revealed himself to you and if you choose not to know him the consequences of that will be eternal and they will be horrible one Lord the Lord our God the Lord is one so what so what okay so here is a fact here is a fact how does this affect me how does this touch my life I'm gonna get on the Mitchell freeway tomorrow what, what's the how does this touch me God exists I exist so well the one Lord leads to one love in fact I could show you so many things that flow out of this point no no not yet Sean um, so many things that can flow out of this point I could talk to you about if there's one do you believe let me ask you a question do you believe that you live in a universe why well you do because there's one Lord universe do you believe racism is wrong why well because there's one Lord all people flow from him do you believe there's such a thing as right and wrong do you or is it totally up for grabs we let Donald Trump make the rules whoever's got the most power or do you think there is a fundamentally right and wrong why because there's one Lord see the word Lord you're not Lord I'm not Lord nor is Donald one Lord all of that flows from that but there's something even more special and that's this thanks Sean one Lord leads to one love 
This is the most beautiful thing in all the universe. One Lord leads directly to one love. Because there is one Lord, we know why we exist. We know what our purpose is. We know what will satisfy our hearts. It's not Macca's. We know what will fill this void here. Because there's one Lord, we know what will fill it. The answer is one love. Look with me at verse 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. What does the one Lord want from you? This morning when you came, did you bring your money because that's what he wants from you? Keep it. What does he want from you? What does the one Lord require from you? What does he demand from you? The answer is love. Love. He doesn't want you to believe in him. What is the point of acknowledging, okay, you exist. I grant you, you exist. I mean, how does that help God? What is that for? He wants you to adore him, to treasure him above everything else. You know what the literal Hebrew, can I do the literal Hebrew for you? You know where it says there, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with your might. It's talking about you shall love the Lord with total devotion, that's your heart, your total being, that's your nefesh, your soul. And the word strength there really is is the Hebrew word meot, which really means totally, to excess. So if I can put it, you know, it really is saying this, love your Lord your God with total devotion, your total being totally, to total excess, totally. You know, teenagers, you know. But why? Why does he want your love? Is he needy? Why does he want your love? Because there's one Lord. If you love something else, more than God, you are promoting that something else to Lord. Do you get it? Whatever you love more than God, you have promoted to being a Lord. The reason you can only love God and nothing in comparison is because there's only one Lord. And you're making fake Lords. They're not really Lords. And you're selling yourself short. You're hurting yourself. Think with me. I was uh, reading a bit of John Owen the other day. This is what he says. If you don't know who John Owen is, he was a Puritan. He was smart. Listen to this. Love is being absolutely satisfied in someone. Love is to rest in someone. We do not look for anything else when we truly love something. We only look to the thing we love for satisfaction. Now, to the extent that we need to be supplemented by things outside of the thing we love, we love that thing or that person less. In other words, 
Ross gobbledygook. English. If you love anything other than God, you're going to hurt yourself. That's why you must love him. Let me try and give you an example. Silly, I'll start with a silly example. Let's say you love chocolate above all other things. Chocolate. Not that I'm picking on anyone. If chocolate is the most important, most valuable thing in your life, then chocolate has become a lord. But can chocolate save you? Can chocolate give you what God can give you? Can chocolate love you the way God loves you? Can chocolate satisfy your heart? Say, I'm picking a simple example because you're all going, no, 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 no. But let's push it further. What does someone look like who loves chocolate too much? What do they look like? They're overweight. They've got bad teeth. They're unhappy. They've lost money because they're always going to Switzerland to try new chocolates or whatever, you know, I don't know. Bottom line, their Lord isn't doing it for them. Their Lord is letting them down. This is dr- drugs is a beautiful example. The Lord kills you. But that's a simple example. It's true of money. It's true of sex. It's true of this fake thing called romantic love. It's true of popularity. It's true of power. It's true of your own self. If any one of those things are promoted to the position of Lord, those false lords will not save you. They can't save you. They can't do for you what you need them to do for you. And they can't love you. Were any of those things crucified for you? Did any of them die for you? Would they? Even, hear this, good things can become lords. Even good things, community, church, marriage, or those little idols called children. If any one of them become your first love, they are becoming lords. And they are false lords because there's only one lord. Oh, hold on, that sounds heavy. Think with me. When you love the one Lord above anything else, hear me, the other loves are not diminished. They're in fact increased. Listen to the great C.S. Lewis. Hear this, fathers, husbands. When I have learned, so you say to me, I don't love my wife anymore. How can I love my wife anymore? She's not getting any younger, you know. Learn to love God. Don't worry about your wife. When you love God, you will love your wife. Listen. C.S. Lewis, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving toward the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, 
second things are not suppressed but increased one Lord one love you all knew I was going to do this you're all waiting for it I know you're waiting for it when is Bob Marley going to come up of course one love how can we not talk about Bob Marley so let me quote Bob Marley if you don't know who Bob Marley is you are not cool at all Uh, as you know I think reggae is the only enduring music Bob Marley this is what he says one love one heart let's get together and feel alright I'm pleading to mankind that's what we're doing at North Coast Church I'm I'm sorry but we're doing it (laughs) we're pleading to mankind we're pleading to the people of Perth one love you love so many things that aren't the one Lord and it's hurting you it's not making you happy if we get together and love the one Lord we'll feel alright everything else will come together one Lord one love and it goes through all the rhythms of your life and I want to clo- I'm going to go quickly I want to show you how practical this is because it's through all the rhythm and I'm going to race now through all the rhythms of life it starts with the family see you might be sitting thinking this is about me and God and there's place for that but it's more than that the way to learn one love is to learn in the context of the rhythms of life that God has given us it begins with your family look with me at verse 7 you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house so in your home I really hammered the men I'm so surprised men have come back to our church because I've told you again and again if you're not reading the Bible with your family you're disobeying God you are to sit in your house with your family and teach them the love of God so talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk on the way but don't just be religious I go to the beach I'm on my way with my kids I go we get to the beach I look around and go children who made this okay let's go swim just in the rhythms of life I'm teaching them about the one God and when you lie down when you go to sleep what's the last thought on your mind and when you rise in the morning what's the first thought on your mind it's meant to be in your family reading the Bible with your family yet I just got a great idea I just got a great idea toilets what a place to learn about the love of God you know how long they go to the toilet and then they forget why they're there I'm talking about young children so put a verse on the door of the toilet why not just put a verse there and your little twits there for hours and right in front of them is the words of the gospel for God so loved the world he gave his one and just there it is there it is in the rhythms of life but anyway something for nothing it's not just your family it's you as individuals look at verse 8 you shall bind them as a sign on your hand I know one or two people who've got tattoos 
or they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You, you want to look funny, fine. But the point is, take it to your heart. People, how many times have I said this? Put a verse in your pocket. And there you are, trading your Bitcoin on the stock exchange. And you're in your three-piece suit. And you put your hand in pocket. Oh, what's this? Oh, yes. 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You keep it with you. Or your phone buzzes five times a day just with a verse, the same verse. You keep it with you, says verse 8. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. So I said the back of a toilet door, but you know, you get the point. And on your gates. Ah, oh, well, this is because it's not just for you. It's not just for your family. It's for your village. Now, we live in a pagan society. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Jundalup Shire. What's the motto of Jundalup Shire? For God so loved the world. Yeah, right. But you get the point. Wouldn't it be great? But we all... Though why did I... Because Moses is saying, don't forget it. One Lord. One love. But we forget, don't we? And so what Moses does is he gives us, I'll be very quick, three dangers. Here are the three things that will make you forget one Lord, one love. Three things. First is the worst thing about Perth. Comfort. Look from verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you. Look at this. What do you have that you didn't get given? With great and good cities that you did not build. Houses full of good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Everything you have was given to you. But you know what you do? You get fat. Look at what it says there. And you eat and are full. Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall, I love that. You see, out of the house of slavery, but the word in Hebrew is actually a similar root, slave. It is him you should slave to, and by his name you shall swear. What's the danger? Comfort. In Perth, we are in, hear this, more danger than our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries. Stop thinking that your Christians and brothers and sisters in persecuted countries are in more danger than you are. They're not. Perth is a toxic environment. And only suffering can wake us up. Suffering is good for us. Oh, it's horrible. But it's good for us. John Newton, before God can comfort the afflicted, he must afflict the comfortable, logically. Friends, comfort will make you forget one Lord, one love. The second danger is other lords. You, you fall in love with other stuff, kite surfing or camping or TV. Look at verse 14. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. 
For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. I dealt with that in one of the growth groups. You can ask me a question if you want to. Let the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Stop falling in love so easily. Stop being desperately seeking Susan. You have your one love. One Lord, one love. And lastly, the danger is we doubt his love when we suffer. Look at verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. The background of this at Massah is that God's people were dying of thirst. They really were. And what they said is, this one God, does he really care for us? Does he love us? And Moses says, don't do that. When you suffer, you start doubting God's love. Don't do it. It's a big danger, even if you're dying, because the Israelites were dying of, of thirst. Even if you're dying, there's no reason to doubt God's love because we're all going to die and it's never going to be nice. But God's love goes beyond the grave. Beyond the grave. It's forever. One Lord, one love. Let me close with a thought. And it's a little bit personal, so I hope you won't mind. Many years ago, I was on a yacht sailing across the Atlantic and at that time I finally turned to God seriously. I'd, I actually did believe in one God before then but I, I loved lots of other things and I don't know why. I don't know why. I can't take credit. I began then to pray this prayer. Here's my prayer. Lord, give me a heart to love you. Give me a heart to love you. I loved so many things. I loved surfing. I loved girls. I loved traveling. 25 years ago, I started praying this prayer. Lord, give me a heart to love you. And I'm going to be honest with you. I prayed that this morning. I prayed every day. And do you know what the Lord has done for me? He's answered that prayer slowly, little bit by little bit. Careful, careful, because what he will do is take away your other loves. <laughs> so be, make sure you want to pray that prayer. Why don't you do it too? Why don't you ask him, one Lord, one love, do it for me. Give me a heart to love you. Why don't you think about those things and if that you want, you can text in a question. There's a number on your outlines. And I'll take a few questions. But in the meantime, just in your quietness, chew on these things. Maybe pray that prayer. And we'll take a few questions.